and welcome to the very 91st Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. My name is Matt Lees, joined by Quentin Smith. Hello, Matt Lees. And this is a podcast all about board games, board games, and the people who love them. What if I like card games? Mm. Well, we have this a lot, and people say, oh, board games like Monopoly. And we like to think of board games as being a big manger full of lots of different kinds of... The manger? You went very biblical there. Yeah, I was trying to think of a stable, is what I went, but I I went full on... Um, big JJ. So, yeah, card games, board games, party games, big strategy games. We like all kinds of games in the game rainbow. And um, yeah, it's all fair game. It's a broad church. I like fair game. Was that was that deliberate? No. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about a few games. We're going to be talking about Wingspan, an economic game about managing birds. Yes, you heard that right. We're going to be talking about Chronicles of Crime, Mm. a game about being a detective uh, that is simultaneously cartoonish and gory as heck. We're going to be talking about Franchise, a game Matt wishes he'd played. (laughs) Uh, And we're going to be talking a little bit, very quickly, about Assel Schmassel, a.k.a. Woodlouse Chaos. Ah, back on the old uh, little card games with horrible animals on them. Yeah, the uh, Dry Maja Ugly Animals series. Ugly Bugs, isn't it? Ugly, oh, Ugly Bugs. Is, I don't know. Ugly Bugs is a better name. I mean, Ugly Bugs is classic. Ugly Bug Ball. Uh, then finally, we're going to have a very special podcast because it is time to introduce and also go through the winners of the Purple's Choice Awards. Da-da-da-da. I might put an actual sting in here. It's better than me just doing a noise from Zelda. Every year, uh, the Shut Up and Sit Down forum users all vote. They have a little a little experiment with democracy, and they all decide <laughs> it's quaint. But of course, we are the fascist overlords. We've all had a little experiment with democracy, haven't we? We have. Spoilers, it hasn't worked. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we're going to be naming what they thought was like... It's it's really our, our games of 2018 episodes. Mm. Uh, we're even talking about sort of best game production, best game. Best and as expansion. with most websites, we're doing our games of 2018 awards in March. Yeah, I don't know what happened there, but <laughs> I, I liked how you described this competition last year when you said the Purple's Choice Awards was an opportunity for our audience to decide whether mum and dad were bad and wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's accurate. Uh, so, well, we've got a lot to get through this episode, so let's quickly cover some games. Mm. Uh, I'm going to briefly talk about Wingspan, because people have been waiting uh, very patiently. It's been a while since our last podcast episode, and I said, don't worry, everybody, I'm going to talk about Wingspan on the next podcast. I was mm-hmm. like, a month ago yeah. <laughs> And people know that you love birds as well. So. I literally cannot get enough birds. In the same way that anything to do with eggs happens on the internet, and I get lots of people forwarding it to me, you must have the same thing with birds. Uh, yes. Uh Together, though, our interests form one complete life form. But which interest came first? Oh, it was you were interested in eggs before I was interested in birds. I don't think that's true. Okay. Well, anyway, um, so Wingspan is a game that curiously has the most in common with Race for the Galaxy, A, in my opinion. It's a, a monstrously complicated sci-fi card game from a while back. This is a lot simpler. And first things first, the production is wonderful. You open this box, you have these beautiful uh, watercolour aviary player boards that you put out in front of you. You get a bag of eggs. That are- is it, and this game, is it, would you say, an egg gin builder? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I actually would. Okay. Um, and you're going to be building an engine with birds, and then you're going to be placing little... Um, 
plastic eggs on those birds that come in a variety of pastel colours. I wasn't... I did just think of that then. I wasn't sitting on that. For a month. Like an egg. Ah! <laughs> and I wasn't sitting on that either. That's so good. Thank you. Um, I'll let you talk about the game now. Thanks. Uh, there's hundreds of birds in this game, Matthew. There's a massive deck of cards, like literally something like 150 birds but or something. there aren't even 100 birds in the real world. But you know what? Not only are there 150 birds in this game, it's 150 birds just exclusively from North America. What? I know. Turns out the world stuffed with birds. <sighs> Um, so, uh, what you do in this game is you are trying to get points, and you get points from a variety of things. Um, I that's that's kind of that could just describe all board <laughs> Any games. Any game, yeah. Uh, so, uh, more practically, you have this aviary board in front of you, and you have a hand of birds, bird cards, and then on your turn, you're going to do one of several things. You can draw additional birds. You can acquire food, uh, which are a number of big chunky custom dice that you roll to see, oh, this turn the world is full of caterpillars, or you roll them and it's like, oh, this turn it's acorns. Um, So you can acquire food, you can draw new birds, or you can play birds, you can lay eggs on birds, which are like victory points. Um, But here's the catch. When you play a bird, like let's say, Matthew, I don't know, you've got something crap. Sweet little finch. Oh, I like where you're going with this. Let's say you've got a goldfinch, uh, and you want to play that goldfinch. You're going to put it into your aviary, you play it out of your hand, you spend some food, the Mm -hmm. finch was given a caterpillar and now it lives with you forever. But when you play a bird, you decide which row to play it in. So let's say you played the finch in the, and different birds can be played in different slots, but let's say you played that sweet, sweet little finch, and that's gone in your food section, like the food row. Mm -hmm. That means that whenever you spend your turn collecting food, the the finch's power is going to trigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's say it's like late game and uh, you spend your time collecting food. Um, you trigger all the birds you ever played in that row for the whole game. So suddenly, pow, the finch uh, triggers, which means you draw a random bird. And then the vulture triggers, which means you lay an egg. And then the goose triggers, which means you get an additional food. Uh, and so you're kind of building up combos, basically. Um, and the you're, tr- you're trying to balance the best row of birds, which is just the birds that lay eggs and get you victory points, with actually needing the birds that help you develop your engine, which is the birds that help you draw birds and the birds that help you get food. And I've saved, as I usually do, and this is my worst trait as a board game critic, I've saved the best for last. Every bird card, in addition to a lovely illustration, has a fact about that bird. Bird facts. I know. It's it's all right. So effectively, you're just trying to build together uh, a sequence of things which are going to pop off in a pleasingly elongated combo yep. system. So it's... it's, it's Starling Realms? Uh, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. I just wanted to say that because it's not drafting and... Not drafting, sorry. It's not like... I'm just wrong. I just wanted to say Starling Realms. <laughs> That's fine. I, I considered Stork Realms. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, it's, it's closer to Race for the Galaxy. Do, so do you want to come up with, as I'm talking about my next thing, a bird pun to do with Race for the Galaxy? Uh, rock for the Galaxy? The, ooh, rock. Rock, rock is a mythical bird. If they wanted to do an expansion for this that was Mythical Birds, that would be interesting. Um, so uh, I'll cut to the chase because we do have the Purple's Choice coming up. Um, I think it's all right. The production is gorgeous. It's got, I mean, this is this is so fussy, but like the box has this like linen, I think it's a linen finish, which means the box itself is kind of textured. Like you can run your fingers over it and it's sort of, there's texture there, but it's so fine that you couldn't identify whether it's lines or hatching or whatever. It's just like you're exploring an alien artifact. Uh, yeah, well, you, see, you know, you know, linen finished playing cards that you rub them and they're not completely smooth. There's like very well. Oh yeah, you do. Well, the the it's not the fact that the box itself of Wingspan is so nice right. is indicative of just how much TLC they've put into everything inside. Well, the little legs look really good. There's little legs. There's a the, and this kind of 
<laughs> this maybe is a metaphor for the game. Um, it, you don't just roll the big chunky and they're enormous, beautiful wooden food dice in a wingspan. Mm. You put them into the back of a bi- of a dice tower that looks like a, a birdhouse. Oh. They rattle around the birdhouse and they fall out the base like little birds, but it's food. That's very sweet. Just for the record, I've, I've stopped spending cycles on trying to think of a bird pun for Race for the Galaxy. Oh, okay. It's, it's distracting me and it's hard. So if you can do that, then do pop a comment on the website. <laughs> on um, Shut one, and we'll, we'll pick the best one and feature it as a comment. Oh, yeah, that's um, yeah, good. Yeah, so good luck with that. Um, yeah, so everything is beautiful. The cards are lovely. You've got a dice tower, you've got wooden dice, you've got eggs. But what's the problem, Quinns? Uh, the game's all right. Right, um, sure. So, I mean, but what people should know is if people said to me, Quince, do you want to play Wingspan? I would say, sure. Which, if people have listened to like even some episodes of this podcast, they will know Matt and I have played like coming close to like thousands of board games at this point. If we say we'd play a board game, that's like high praise. Yeah. Um, and if people want to get Wingspan, they definitely could. It's lovely, but it's, it's, the design itself didn't excite me. It didn't enormously impress me. It's, it's quite relaxing. It's quite interesting. As it's, a big fan of birds, though, as well, like yeah, I mean, I am, kind of feel like usually, you know, in the same way. Whenever we review Star Wars games, we're like, ah, it's okay. But if you love Star Wars, great. You love birds, and I don't and think you it's don't that love it. Good. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm. If they were going, if any board game was going to like corrupt me and give a good review to something that's not that great, it would be Wingspan. I mean, the production quality of it looks superb, and as we have seen, like really solid production quality does result in lots of people buying games and enjoying them. Yep, as and we see know, with Simon. Uh, like, yep, and they've done a lovely job with production. The theme is so unique and so lovely. I, I've never played anything with a theme quite like this, although I'm not entirely sure what's happening that the birds in your aviary then sort of join your evil empire in helping you get more birds stuck in the aviary. you got to make birds to get birds. Can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. That's, I mean, I could, if I wasn't trying to describe a game, I could have worked that in as a joke. I thought you were going to say, can't make an omelette without breaking a few birds. That would, they, see, that's what see, I'm that's, talking that's about. Well, that's a joke, yeah. It's so difficult to entirely pin down with like nebulous card games and engine building games, why they do or don't work. But um, yeah, there was nothing about Wingspan that was enormously sort of exciting and poppy. that's another game which fails to win the illustrious Shut Up and Sit Down uh, Quentin Smith Super Bird Fan Award, (laughs) which obviously I prepared a 3D badge for that to go on boxes years ago. And we just have yet to find the game that is going to get that. Sticker, yeah, yeah. The ultimate bird fan, Quintus Smith ultimate bird fan award. I do know that no pun included are working on a video review of Wingspan. We're not going to be doing a video review, um, but I know that I believe that they feel quite similar to me. So uh, while Shut Up and Sit Down won't be doing a video review, if you want to know more about Wingspan, then no pun included are doing a review. And you know what? I might be recording a couple of little segments for that review. Oh, what a treat. Yeah, it's funny actually mentioning no pun included uh, for those of you who uh, do not live outside of the podcastle. Uh, we recently recorded on our Twitch channel a... How many hours was it? Seven? Nine hours. Nine hours. <laughs> Were we playing for nine hours? Is the actual recording of the video nine hours? Uh, no. Uh, the the video itself of the, the game yeah. will be up for eight hours. We yeah. streamed for nine. A sweet eight hours. Just a little cool eight-hour game of Twilight Imperium. Uh, Matt pulled out all the stops, of course. You did a diorum. You did a, an over, a Photoshop overlay of the mm. board. Yeah, we, we basically really tried. We knew it was going to be a long game, so we tried to have as many elements as we could to keep it entertaining, but also keep it so people could follow the game and, and get an idea of what was actually going on. Uh, that's going to be on YouTube in the future. Uh, if you're listening to this now and in, in the recent terms, then uh, you'll be able to go and watch on the Twitch on demand. And actually, we do recommend doing that because um, 
it's quite cool being able to see all of the comments that went as they go because the community on Twitch, if you're part of those people who watch these things and comment along, it's a joy for us to go back and watch people chatting about it because it's so interesting and so funny. It's a lovely community. You know, I used to tell people to go and watch it on Twitch because the comments are just funny. But yeah. actually, watching Twilight Imperium back, I found Twitch, in addition to being really funny and adding like a layer of jokes over the entire experience, Twitch also has people being like, mm, it's interesting that Matt did this move when he could have done this. And actually, or like pointing out plays we didn't do, yeah. pointing out why we're in, in trouble. And I thought I was quite clever. Like, d there's one particular invasion I did in the game of TI that was quite sort of, I thought quite dramatic. Turns out watching it back, Twitch chat had been like, Quinz would be an idiot if he didn't do this. <laughs> and also watching the explosions of excitement of just having moments where suddenly everything just blows up and being able to like not watch it live, but then still have that a part of it. It's a shame we can't archive that completely. But uh, yeah, as we said on the internet, we are going to be trying to put some of our favorite joke comments and embedding them in the TI thing just because it's such a big meaty thing. But if you love TI, check that out. But what I was going to say, yeah, is we had no plan included playing with us and they just reviewed um, Now Boarding, which is something I might, I might dip back into. I played it two players and I quite liked it, but it was one of those things that just slipped off the review stack and I didn't go back to for a little while. Yeah, there's just too many games. Too many games. Too many games. Let's move on to Chronicles of Crime. Why wouldn't we? Um, Chronicles of Crime... It, oh, goodness. How would you describe Chronicles of Crime, Matthew? Chronicles of Crime is a pretty good game <laughs> uh, in which you are detectives trying to solve crimes. Um, and it's a game which has red flags uh, ribboned through it like a stick of rock and made me think this is not going to be good because what does it do? Well, first of all, it's got QR codes, <laughs> which actually, weirdly, the the third act I was not expecting in my life is that I'm actually coming round to QR codes <laughs> after years of repeatedly going, who uses QR codes? You know, Japan had it figured out. Japan's had QR codes that just caused their society to be more efficient. Yeah, like they've just been like, what the hell are these things? Why won't they die? To now being like, okay, no, they're great. But I think it's because the technology is just better and they just work better now. But... Yeah, so you've got QR codes, for one, which is not ideal. You've also got a thing which allows you to put your phone into some sort of 3D glasses and look at 3D crime yeah, scenes. Yeah, when you get to a crime scene, you lift up your phone in front of your eyes and then can physically move your body. Yeah. And then the like looking around a looking 3D Looking around through a window into another room where you can look for clues. Um, <laughs> which sounds Which sounds naff. lame. Like, that's the thing, is it sounds naff, right? It sounds naff. You've got these two things that basically think that's a gimmick. But surprisingly, it's very good. And one of the reasons it's very good is because of the fact that, like, it uses its gimmicks to its advantage within the game design rather than just having them as a sideshow. Right. So immediately, the thing I've wanted to say about this since we played it all those months ago, um, we gave a really rough ride to Detective, which I just saw won one of, just recently, Detective, a modern crime board game, won one of France's biggest Game of the Year awards. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people love it. Which is great for them. We had a few problems with it, but um, a lot of it was to do with text, how tech was imp implemented and how the mm -hmm. puzzle was wrapped around the text. Chronicles of Crime, it is one of these games in the style of Detective or Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, another board game we really like. Um, where you're given a puzzle and you simply have to get the answers. You navigate an environment, you and your friends all play cooperatively, you decide, oh, we want to go here, interview this person, go to this other place, show this person this evidence. It's kind of like the Phoenix Wright video games, if you've played that. Yeah. And then at the end, whether you win or not is as simple as you decide when you are done mm -hmm. and the app will go, okay, well, who did the crime? And But who did it... Like, ask you perhaps more specific questions. Who was this person related to? Who was this person being blackmailed to? And you don't know what those questions are going to be. Yeah. But if you fully understand the crime, you shouldn't have any trouble with yeah. it. Yeah. 
And we found we got to the end of it and we really felt like we had cracked the main crime, which we had. But then it asked us questions about stuff and we're like, oh, we didn't. So the, we didn't know about that. The main reason the QR codes work and the main reason it's interesting is, um, and not a gimmick, is the simple way that this works is every item of evidence, every location and every character card has a QR code. The game, interestingly, has no text, which is also super clever because it means mm-hmm. manufacturing the game. It's language independent. They can ship the same copy to any country almost, I guess, actually, because come more- to think of it, the manual is. No, but yeah. I mean, more importantly than that is the fact that it makes it adaptable. And this is a game whereby you get a handful of cases with the game and then there's more you can buy because it, the game is basically run through an app on a phone. And it means you can play more cases. And what's really clever about it is you just have a deck of cards, which are faces. They don't have names. Uh, they're just a picture of a person. Yep. And it means that these archetypes of like well, whatever this character looks like can be used in different cases as different people. Like somebody can be a victim and then the next time they can be a culprit. Yep. And they get a different name, a different backstory. But what's wonderful about this, one of them was a dog, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, and I think there's a, <laughs> there's a monkey in the deck as well. So it's like, okay, so you've got... A deck of potential characters that can be reused in different scenarios. Then you have like a deck like of locations, which again can be reused. Then you have like all of the crime things are very non-specific, like a blunt object or like the crime cards. Yeah, yeah, the crime cards are all just different aspects, like poison, which can be like all sorts of different things. Yeah, and then basically, if you want to find evidence, then you just scan that QR code and it'll add it to the things you found, and also the game knows what you found. Then once you interview people. It's as simple as being like, I want to ask this person about this. So you just scan the thing you want to ask them about It's scan the person. It's absolute magic. So rather than in, in Detective of Modern Crime Board Game or even Sherlock Holmes Consultant Detective, you might have this... Th- well, Consultant Detective has a thing where you talk to a suspect and he just tells you everything. Detective of Modern Crime Board Game will have you talking to a suspect and going, well, do you want to leave him alone or spend five minutes really like grilling him like a kipper? Whereas uh, Chronicles of Crime, actually, despite looking more childish, despite yep. having what we thought was a gimmick, has something so much more powerful, which is you can talk to literally any character yeah. about literally any location, any other character, any other piece of evidence, because let's say you find you know someone who you think is the murderer, Scan murderer, scan park, and your character asks them about the park. Or scan murderer, poison, ask them about poison. And ev- But it's not free because every single time you scan, it deducts five minutes off the clock. Five in-game minutes, and your chief is like, you've got to solve this case by the end of the day. So you have total freedom, and yet more pressure, mm. more tension, more intensity. But I think also the pace of it makes a difference, because... When you know that every time you do something, you're going to have to lose some time. And that was the same thing in Detective, of being like, well, we're here now, what what should we do? In this, you just end up being like, because you can do things so quickly, you can do like three or four scans in a couple of seconds. Yep. You can just have an idea. And before you know it, if you're the one holding the phone, <laughs> you've just done it. You've got, I'm going to ask him about this. Oh, no, it's nothing. And then you've got the fact that each character, in, each person in front of them has a different character that like... Oh, yeah. One of... There's, every case starts with somebody who has the, uh, people who work with you at the police station so someone might have the hacker in front of them. Yeah. someone else might have the um like the forensic scientist yeah so it's like oh let's ask the forensic scientist about this and in a way that just semi formalizes the system to make sure that you're passing the phone around mm. which is interesting rather than being like you have the laptop person it means somebody will be using the phone for a while then they'll be like oh let's ask the forensic scientist and because that's in front of me you pass the phone to me and then I have a go at it. and even the fact that at the start of each case you get this little crime scene you can look at which really was often quite gory yeah i but also set the scene and set the tone it's it's funny isn't it because it's not a it, it's not like you know entrails splattered around it's 
for it's quite bleak. You know what? For all that Detective really wanted to nail the feeling of being a detective, and in some ways it does, um, because it covers the administrative side of being a detective, where, like, you know, there's a piece of evidence from 20 years ago, and you have to find another piece of evidence in a box from 30 years mm-hmm. ago, which is a real part of being police. Um, Chronicles of Crime did something that was another part of being policeman, which is the very first tutorial case. It goes, oh, there's someone been found by a river, go to the crime scene. And you lift up the phone in front of your eyes and you see a river. You tilt the phone up and you see the sky and tilt the phone down and you see a corpse. And it's not disturbing, but like, it's shocking. You know, it's not gory, but you know, we've we, there are some crime scenes in Chronicles of Crime where nothing's nothing's particularly like PG fifteen or like fifteen. Yeah, you rated. Just literally turn around and you go, oh, there's a dead body, but and it's, it's kind of it, weird. It feels really close to you, and it, it feels does. shocking. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Um, and I, I think another thing I'd say about it really, in the way that it uses the technology, and the way that it uses. Um, the freedom that that technology gives it of not having to have loads of writing on cards meant it was such a contrast when we played Detective where we were playing on a full-size table and every time we were reading these cards aloud to one another and finding ourselves getting quite tired of reading them out because it was just so much bloody writing about salads and Coca-Colas and lunch breaks and stuff. But also it meant that as the game went on, we just had this kind of slightly messy pile of previous cards of evidence yep. intermingled with the text of things that was important with this like stuff about how many corridors you walk down to get to the canteen, etc. So it meant that trying to go back and understand the case and remember characters because characters were just names oh well this is what shocked me so yeah th- sorry I, I've well no uh, I, the, f- the the thing that's magical about it is we played detective on a full-size table we played chronicles of crime on a coffee table with substantially less space yeah and even despite that it was so much easier to follow and visualize the plot of what had happened in this case because you're just looking at a a collage of faces 100%. and you're like that guy did this this person bought drugs off this person and met them here and then maybe they sold this person to this person and some of the storylines were really dark and involving yeah a detective of modern crime story can have like four people which is basically four full names like peter hendrickson and i'm lost yes whereas chronicles of crime can have something like some of the more difficult cases had like tw- you know what, 16 characters? Yeah, maybe. If, if those were names, I could never remember them. But 16 faces, piece of cake. Yeah, because you just, you visualise them, you can see it. It's it's It was really a huge surprise for me. I'd love to play some more of it. I we, think had, we had a dabble in it. Now we're talking, now hearing us talk about it, I think it's it's everything board games can be to yeah. me. And with so much of the board game press going crazy for detective and modern crime board game, I think we've got to cover Chronicles of Crime because it's, it's it's there's nothing quite like it it's great i feel like it effortlessly gets around so many of the problems oh, that detective uh, so detective many. stumbles into but also i feel like yeah it reminds me so much of phoenix right which is uh, for those of you who don't play video games is is arguably a game about being a lawyer but basically you're a lawyer and a detective and even though those games are idiosyncratic and annoying they are also some of the best detective things imaginable in yeah. a really silly way and it really yeah it was just evocative fun exciting puzzles that slot together in a way that makes sense but just being able to follow a, a story and realizing that like you know the, the the problem i had with detective was it was so obsessed with trying to recreate the minutiae of what it must be like to the mundanities of a day-to-day of having a job yeah which was what we kind of skewered fairly or otherwise in uh, our live podcast at gen con yeah but this is just so much more about the human angle of being like 
just trying to get a feeling for people and trying to work out and having gut feelings of being like, I don't trust this woman. I don't trust this person. Yeah. And you know what else? Just before we move on, I got to say Chronicles of Crime, despite having that cartoony look, was in a lot of ways more adult than... Yeah. Like it dealt with, not in a way that was like really on the nose, but it had characters who were like, it had black characters where them being black was like referenced in the story. And it had characters who were drug addicts where it didn't feel like the writer was out of their depth writing about drugs and addiction. It had some crazy, bizarre stuff as well, but also, like, it just felt kind of... It was caricatured, but it wasn't cartoonish. Exactly. I felt, as as some... I mean, we've complained about writing quite a lot in the history of Shut Up and Sit Down. I felt that I really enjoyed the writing in Chronicles of Crime. Yeah, no, it's cool. And especially interesting in the fact that the different... Uh, cases, I think, written by different people. So yeah, maybe some of them are bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly, some of the expansions take it to like one of them makes makes you a bunch of kids trying to solve uh, crimes, but in like a Scooby Doo, uh, Stranger Things kind of way. <laughs> and then rather than just being like police, um, so they're doing different things with the different expansions. Interesting, which is lovely. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to franchise. Yeah, I want to play a franchise. Matt wants to play a franchise. <laughs> franchise is one of those things, and I don't usually ever get salty about this, but occasionally when we're at conventions, we'll like start playing a game, and then we'll have to stop playing a game, because it's like, ah, we don't have time to do this now, or whatever. Like, We started playing franchise, and I was getting into it, and I was feeling really good about my strategy, and I was really excited about playing it, and I was like, I think I'm going to do really well. And then we had to stop. And then you went off and played it with other people. You know what, Matt? I don't regret it. I had a good time. Oh, God damn it. Franchise is something we might end up doing a small video on because it's unusual and, I don't know, I feel like it's going to fly under the radar if we don't cover it. Um, This is from Queen Games, a publisher we have, uh, you know, sort of mixed feelings about. But with Franchise, they've uh, stepped outside of their comfort zone and hired an artist to do a really interesting and striking and I think quite strong uh, board. This is art by Ian O'Toole. I thought you were just going to end that on artist. And they've they've oh. hired <laughs> an artist. Uh, no, I would never no, be that mean. Yeah. Um, it's not you. They, no, honestly, they just tend to do stuff that's a little more childish. Yeah, no, right? well, they've got, a, they've got a, a thing of what they do. They, they have made some really lovely games in the past. Absolutely. But um, yeah, so franchise is a game where you run fast food franchises and the board is a huge map of America. It's like eightfold board. And also the map looks insane it like yeah. it almost looks like a parody of board games because what Ian's done you have all the different cities you know from like you know, los angeles to like denver wherever lots of small places as well and then everything is connected by arrows or roads or or dotted roads which is basically how expensive it is to travel so there might be a little tiny dotted line running from los angeles to san francisco and that means you can travel along it for free but that next to it might be a huge like bubbly cartoon arrow that winds all the way across america and goes to new york yeah you've got like dotted lines massive thick chunky arrows it's kind of like a campaign war map but designed by somebody who's taken a lot of psychedelics i was gonna say and you know that has to be an apt analogy because matt and i don't like using that it's like this but on drugs yeah but no it's it's just it's wonderfully bright and colorful and curvy and like it's it's very artistic and you were saying it it actually becomes part of the game yeah as you're trying to figure out how to get from el paso to new york you end up having to like look for arrows as if you're playing where's wally yeah no that's what i fell in love with it immediately i was like i love this game because 
This has a board which is unintuitive. It's like trying to untangle spaghetti with your mind. <laughs> but that's kind of perfect for the what, what the nature of the game is because it's a game about running fast food franchises and about trying to take over America with your amazing fast food franchise. And it's all about looking for opportunities, looking for like, hey, where are we going to open our next burger joint? Well, the bizarre thing about the theme, though, is like it would make perfect sense if the player boards were like, oh, I run a McDonald's and you run a pizza place. And because and those people might compete for the same fast food money in the 1940s right. but due to i have no idea why or how this could ever happen in production but instead your player boards are one person runs a coffee shop someone else runs a garage someone else runs a hotel and this is to be clear an area control game where you're all competing for the same profit margin <laughs> Doesn't so really this, make is, any this sense. is a weird world where people are like i want a burger but i do need to go to the laundromat but i can only go to one yes this town is just full of hotels <laughs> it doesn't make any <laughs> no sense. that does that doesn't make but sense. it's like it would have been such an easy fix yeah just make them all different fast food joints anyway so I, this is an area control game which immediately turns some people off and with good reason because area control is a fundamentally annoying genre of board games where people get points for having the most of like their, I don't know, pieces, their cubes, let's say, um, their pawns in a region. So if I have one pawn in a region and everyone else is zero, I win. But you need to have the most, which means if you have five pawns in a region and I have four, mm -hmm. then I've wasted all of my time and you get all the points in yeah. the region, you know? Yeah. Um, and that is just... What a waste. It, it's just a... The raw bones of area control, uh, I have recently realized that I'm not alone in finding them just annoying because right, yeah. ideally in board games, when other people take their turns, you want it to be interesting and thought-provoking and exciting. Whereas with area control, it's often just annoying. It's yeah. like, I was in this area, you're not putting cubes in. Do I give up? Do I fight you? You know, we like El Grande. That's an area, maybe the only area control game that Shut Up and Sit Down has really recommended. But with franchise, it's a different take on the genre that I really like because the main thing in franchise is the... You kind of own the route, don't you? Which well, what's bizarre? Um, yes, because so the board is a mix of places you actually want to control, big cities like Los Angeles, um, and there where all the points are going to come from. But also, you can spend your turn instead putting little franchises along the way to places. Yeah. So I could have Los Angeles, but then what's even better than filling Los Angeles up with my uh, franchises is blocking like all the little roads to get there, which means other people have to use those big, crazy, wobbly arrows. And they're expensive. They're so expensive to use. Yeah. Um, so, and But what's interesting is that fran uh, Franchise has like multiple stages where at the beginning you can go anywhere, do anything. Then people start having to pay arrows. And then there's this bite point that you haven't experienced yet where about two-thirds of the way through, players start going, oh my god, I'm locked in here. Because actually, without them noticing, every single route around one of their franchises, because you can only build outward from where you have franchises yep. on the board. No, I started to see that even in the early game we played, was the fact that like, you know, early on you're like, oh, well, I guess I'll, I can't really do anything, so I guess I'll make a small franchise on this road. And then you suddenly realize, oh, well, those roads have been bought now, which yep. means you just have to pay for the things. But then it's like, oh, my network... I'll just go up there, but then you're like, well, I can't go up there anymore. It's full, which means I literally just cannot get to New York. And you know, this is one of those cases where the, the mechanic shouldn't work, but it does. Not quite being able to pass the board. Like, yeah. if this had all been clean arrows, and you could look at the board and immediately go, oh, I, there's one route out of New York. There's enough to look at, and the game moves at a sort of gentle pace. That means you just miss stuff. Yeah, no, and I think that's that was what I fell in love with, was I fell in love with the fact that it works so well that you're looking at your money, and especially when you're doing well early on, I mean, he's like, you think, oh, I've got like $9. I can, like, I could, I could go sure. anywhere up on that road down for three, and then I could bump up there for five, or, like, you know, I could take this massive shortcut and just pay loads of money to go here. And 
it means your your eyes are just kind of madly darting around this insane like uh, <laughs> connection thing looking for the next opportunity and i think what really i loved about it was that it reminded me a little bit of um lords of vegas in the way of like there's something about lords of vegas which has people being like brash and stupid that they're just sort of or like cocky or desperate which really just amplifies this feeling of you being someone in a, in a loose shirt with a loose tie who's a bit haggard and is either like swaggering around or is about to make the life's biggest mistake and that game evokes that this game evokes that kind of madness of like a sweaty brow and a loose tie of going oh god how am i gonna how am i gonna make my burger business work <laughs> of you just being this slightly insane businessman who clicks their fingers and goes i got it we're going to kansas yeah that is and, very apt and i yeah it's weird like it actually wouldn't work if the board was clearer yeah, uh, which is like interesting. Yeah, it's it's weird, and also I feel like Ian O'Toole struck a really fine balance between yeah, we find it tricky to read the board, and it's the board is surprising, and this is a word I think I need to use more in my board game uh, criticism. It's mysterious. There's yeah. mystery in franchise, but it's not difficult to read. Yeah, it's mystery that that comes from your own like problems with it's perception. Almost, almost like an optical <laughs> illusion, I guess. It is. It's the fact that you're looking at it and you're looking at it and looking at, it, and then suddenly you notice a road that you just hadn't noticed. Before. Exactly, and it's like. But that gives it a uh, a filmic quality, actually. Like in you know, in the way that films are like not representations of life; they're like weird tropes and amplifications of how things work. And people have eureka moments where they suddenly stop and their car breaks down. And they look up at a sign and they notice there's a different road to this place, <laughs> and they take that road. It's it's like that. You suddenly go, "Ha!" Huh. Yeah. Uh, so I I was stopped short before I managed to mention it. But um, the reason that the area control in this is interesting and the reason it works is because um, it has a mechanic I've not seen before in area control, where each city, depending on its size, will have a number of uh, radial spaces for little franchises. So in uh, like Los, Los Angeles, maybe there's seven spaces for franchises. Now the money that is generated if you have a franchise there is based on oh yeah how many free slots there are, which means it's an area control game where the places only pay out when they are full. So for example, let's say you go to LA. If you doggedly spend money putting a franchise in every one of LA's seven slots, that's great because you're going to get a lot of points. But that's definitely not what you want to do. Much better to have a single franchise in LA to be the only burger joint in town because guess what? The less franchises there are in a town, the more the individual franchises make money. Mm. So now what we have is an area control game where everyone wants to have the most franchises and it's very slow to like build up your um, franchises in an area. But maybe if you could just wait for one more turn, then you're going to make more money. So it's an area control game where the more franchises they have, the more points you have, but the less money you make, which means everyone on the board, like let's say... So everyone on the board wants to fill up everything, but no one wants to fill up everything yet. There's also a weird thing of like, because it's quite difficult to travel because of this windy system of arrows, there's real joy in like going, oh my gosh, no one's in like Chicago. No one can even yeah, get to Chicago. If I just pay like $7, which is preposterous, riding this like massive plane of an arrow all the way across America to Chicago, and then I also block this route with my two actions, then I've taken Chicago, it's spinning up money, no one else can get there for a while, which means I can sit on it, but the board is just big enough, mm. and it does shrink if you have less players, so it always rides this, like, as far as I can tell, I've only played it a couple of times, it tends to strike this really nice balance whereby everyone has their fingers in just enough different city pies mm -hmm. that routinely throughout the game, what we had in our four player game, players would move into a city and be like, okay, I'm quickly going to move into LA with you and build a franchise. And players would go, what? No! Yeah. Because they were counting on... Because you're like, I'm going to do that. LA's mine. And yeah. It's, it's so funny that like, 
And also, and again, that's why the obfuscation works nicely in the fact that you go, nobody can get here. And you go, well, how did you get here? It's like, I just drove down this road. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> I think it might work less well in a, it certainly would work less well in a two or three player yeah, game. Yeah, and I also wonder as well, like, it's the sort of game where, like, unfortunately, because you have this weird uh, aesthetic obfuscation, if you play it more and more, like, that will fade. I mean, maybe, but also there's stuff you can do to um, randomize the regions to make it a bit different every time. But mostly, I think why it works quite well is maybe the sweet spot is four, and with five, it might be a bit slow. I don't I think know. so, yeah. Um, but with four, it was so good because most of your time was just laughing because two players who weren't you were getting really annoyed at each other. <laughs> but in a way that they that wasn't true annoyance because they knew they screwed up. It's like, yeah. oh no, don't come here. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. think. You just, could... It's greed. It's not like, yeah, you just think, you it's know greed. you should reinforce it. But it's, it's like I think you do in like any uh, military like video game of being like i should really build some defensive forces but i'll build another farm first because then i'll have more money and yeah now oh no they're attacking me oh no oh God. yeah, yeah we're, we're gonna be experimenting with some shorter form reviews in the near future um so that's gonna be fun i think it says a lot that franchise like as soon as you mentioned it i kind of remember all of the rules which for a game we only played a few rounds of is a bit crazy i mean that's the other thing it's just not only is it good looking not only is it fun but it's simple to teach yeah the teach is smooth. The teach on that one, real real smooth ride. Uh, it goes down like a glass of Baileys. Ooh. No, it's too early for it's a glass early. of Baileys. <laughs> it's way too early. Uh, finally, before we move on to the purple's choice, I'm just going to spend a few minutes talking about uh, this uh, this new Ugly Bugs game. Crazy uh, little game called... Uh, I, ooh, Woodlouse Chaos. <laughs> I, I paused there because I was I know the German name is Aschel Smashel. Aschel Smashel? A crazy little thing called... Are you done? Roach, are you done? Are you done? I, I forgot what the game was called, so carry on. Okay. Oh, you exactly. I wasn't Josh to you. I just same thing happened to me. So this is a party game, which is a uh, real goofy for you know three, four, five, six players, however many. You've got a deck of animals, which are things like woodlouse, uh, spiders, uh, cockroaches, all weird little bugs. And every card in the deck has a different number of them. So a card might be one card might be two snails, another might be five cockroaches. So now what will happen is players take turns drawing secretly a card from this deck and seeing like two snails. Mm -hmm. Now, in the middle of the table, there is a number of cards showing each of the animals to show their position in the order. So let's say the snails right now are in position five. Mm -hmm. You then have to telegraph to the rest of the table that your card has two snails. Now, remember how it's number five on the track? Yeah. Okay, so that means you're going to have to <clears throat> clap five times. That is telling the table is we're dealing with snails. You also have to slap the table twice because it's two snails. Okay. So now, so you're going to go one, two, three, four, five, slap, slap. 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 Exactly. <laughs> I love be easy. This is one of my favorite games to teach ever because it's got play it, like um, uh, cockroach salad or soup. I bet your neighbors love it as well. <laughs> oh yeah, they especially if you slap the walls instead. That's great. <laughs> um, but so if then you do that and a player goes two snails, that's great. They get the card. They've got a point. However, here's the catch. You don't have to slap the table and clap discreetly. So instead, you can go... Or whatever. I think I just did that wrong. And this is why the game is good. Because here's the thing. If no one gets it... Right. Because everyone's too afraid. Because if you guess wrong, you lose a point. So players need to be pretty sure they know what it is. And they need to do it against the clock. But So if everyone screws up, or if players are just silent because they can't figure out what the hell you just did, you get the point. 
And the reason Woodlouse Chaos works and is brilliant is because I would say about 50% of the time, the person slapping and clapping does their level best to make it so confusing, they screw up and do the wrong number of claps and slaps, at which point they lose a point. But how can you tell on. if they've done it wrong? It, because it's... It, because everyone Sometimes else... you can't. There were a couple of points in the game where we were like, Oh, where no. literally yeah, yeah. no one around the table knew how many times someone had clapped. <laughs> um, but loosely, there's enough people that... That everyone's like, no, If, you if everyone gets times. it wrong and then so, and they flip the card and we're like, hang on, no, that can't be right because you slapped the table twice, then, yeah, it's kind of just groupthink. It, it works sure, it okay. Works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? Oh, gosh. I, I have very little to say about it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that that these card games um, seem to do a really good line in being just the wonderful thing of whenever you're playing this sort of game people just come over to the table and they're just confused and there's people who like play a lot of games it's like what's this because <laughs> we had that with Shummel Hummel with Cheating B yeah, people yeah. just come over and going what the hell are you doing <laughs> it's surprising to me that uh, that these games haven't gotten a little more traction because although I guess Cockroach Poker of course the, the game in this series that everyone loves just wasn't talked about very much I think we were part of a sort of resurgence of people going Hang on, guys, this game is great. Because I think the original Cockroach Poker came out in something like 2006. Yeah. And it's taken, it's been a long time since people have started. And now everyone plays Cockroach Poker. Yeah, Cockroach Poker is one of the best games but in the I, world. Exactly. But I do think there, the other games in this series, I think people might be sleeping on as well. I think they might only have good distribution in Germany. So if you're interested in this, we've talked now in the last few months about Cockroach Salad and Cockroach Soup, which are uh -huh. basically the same game. We've talked about uh, Cheating Bee and Cheating Moth, which are mm -hmm. also kind of the same game, but Cheating Bee is the new version. We also like that. And now Shummel Hummel, which means Woodlouse Chaos. I th no, I mean, no, it, you, just shimmel, you said Shummel Hummel means Oh, Woodlouse sugar, Chaos. sugar. No, no, no. This is, is just this is, this wrong. is Ashel Schmassel. <laughs> I beg your pardon? It's Ash. Go straight to your room. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I, I don't know. You'll have to Google. You could try Googling Assel, Schmassel. I mean, I wouldn't recommend that. Woodla no. Look, just, just Google Woodlast Chaos. It's yes, fine. That's it's a, fine. a far safer Google. It's fine. Honestly, it's a cheap, it's a cheap, ugly animals game. It's a tiny box. It's 15 quid. For the amount of laughter we got out of it, I think it's the kind of game which I'm going to play like once a year. It doesn't have the staying power of Cockroach Poker because it's clapping and slapping a table and it's really intense. But as like a novelty to bring out once a year and show people and watch them all moan and laugh. Like, it's great. Yeah, this sounds like a kind of raucous dinner party thing of being like, let's do this. Yeah. Let's just, I mean, again, it's that thing of like, there are games where you think, ah, oh, this is just, this is everything games can be. But then there are other games of being like, this is just, also everything games could be in a way of like, this can just be silly and surprising. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't need to have any meat. It can just be something where people go, what is this? What are we doing? <laughs> Which is like, in, its, in itself, a an aspirational thing to work towards. I think it's it I think it's as funny as it is because it's it's silly but because it's so tense. I mean all of those games are silly and brilliant. Like it's no coincidence. Like you you cannot just chuck stuff at a wall and be like I guess we've made a silly fun game. I mean lots of people do that admittedly, but the designers behind this series are clearly very smart because yeah. they consistently make things which are uniquely hilarious. Like I still can't get over like the fact that you teach people how to play cockroach poker and they kind of go Okay, right. They don't really see what the game is. And then they go, this is a stink bug. And everyone, just, it's just hilarious. It's just the, <laughs> the act of just kind of quietly, softly lying to people constantly. It's just, it's the fact that you're talking about stink bugs and bats and rats. It's like, it's inherently funny things. Toads. I do think, yeah, I, you know, that's not something we've put together with this series, but of course, the one thing they do all have is, is horrible little creatures. It's little cute bugs, and I think there's something about that. It's just a little devilish, little yeah, yeah. Goodness, how it's lovely! Great. It's great. Uh, let's move on to our main event. It is 
Stop singing Guile's theme. Stop it. Pebbles Choice. Pebbles, Pebbles Choice Awards. That's the official theme tune for Pebbles Choice that I... It's copyright Matley's 2019. Probably just put an actual sting in. Yeah, do that. Oh, thank you very much for uh, bearing with us there. Matt and I just had to change into our matching tuxedos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, you've gone for an interesting uh, style of tuxedo there. Thanks. I don't know if it's still technically a tuxedo if you're not wearing the trousers. Well, I think I have put on an extra bow tie. Yes, that is Which counts true. for something, frankly. Did you see, um, uh, there was a lovely tweet uh, showing, it was a photo of... Um, Com- compilation of people adjusting Rami Malek's uh, bow tie oh, yeah, at the Oscars yeah. <laughs> and then him on stage with this really wonky <laughs> bow tie and there's like everybody tried so hard <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I love it everyone kept being like let's try and fix this uh, I, I love Rami Malek I hope he's really lovely I, I hope he's alright yeah you know what I mean like it's got to that point with famous people where you're like I hope they're alright because I really like him yeah I couldn't agree more so you know who else I really like it is uh, shut up and sit down forum user CLG6000 for uh, just like he did last year I uh, think they should have won an Oscar frankly an Oscar for best forum yes best award ceremony put together on the shut up and sit down forums if you want to wear shut up and sit down does have a message board which is discussions.shutupandsitdown.com yep uh, you can go you can post in a thread you can talk to nice people it's a lovely community it is uh, and I tell you what the thing that we weren't expecting that it's become really good for is people uh, playing games online mm. a lot of role playing groups uh, they, they even play I think games like Skull I don't know how they make that work but they do um, lots of sort of play by forum games so that's nice but also there's enough shut up and sit down users that they're all able to vote on awards and that's exciting because we can see uh, what they thought about the year 2018 yeah and we're going to begin with the big award this isn't the Oscars this isn't other people's award ceremonies we are dessert first here at shut up and sit down it's best game of 2018. <gasps> We're leaping straight into the dessert pool. I'm going to do this in, with respect to CLG. I'm going to do it in the order that he put it up. I'm drowning in blancmange. Uh, before we find out what our audience thought, Matt... What, Let's do, find out what Matt thought. Well, do we want to do our own thoughts before or after? Uh, I mean, I think you specifically made me choose what I thought my answers were before I looked at the list. So it makes sense for you to reveal them and then and then uh, make me look like a fool. Oh no, or I a just, charlatan. I kind of did the same thing. Um yeah, so all right, we'll we'll have the the shut up and sit down top 10 list and discuss it. So in joint place at number 10 with 7% of the vote, which is unusual, uh we've got Dice Game Ganshon Clever, Champion mm-hmm. of the Wild and The Estates. Uh, at place number nine, with 9% of the vote, it's Men at Work. Mm. Lovely dexterity game. At number eight, uh, maybe a bit high, it's Keyforge, Call of the Archons. And also, Reinach Nitzia, Card Game Reprint, High Society. Place number seven, it's Lowlands. At place number six, it's Root. Number five, The Mind. Number four, Railroad Inc. The third best game of 2018, Brass Birmingham. Mm. The second best game, Welcome To. Mm. Which makes... Are you ready for this? The top game of 2018, according to our audience, was, with 28% of the vote, Decrypto. That's very interesting. I also, it's interesting because I never would have said Decrypto, but as soon as I hear it, I'm like, that's a great first choice. Yeah, well, I remember Decrypto. I had to kind of like, um, I still feel like Decrypto didn't get the fairest of shakes from us, but that's the unavoidable part of working as part of an editorial team. You know, like, people have things and we have one editorial voice but occasionally we do disagree and if we don't run reviews together then fair enough because i remember when paul reviewed this uh, he liked it but he, you know he didn't like a few things about it and i don't agree with a lot of the criticisms he made to be honest um but i thought as well when we played the crypto the first time 
Um, I, I just felt like it had something. It, it It's pretty magical. It's definitely one of... It's crazy how rare it is that board games truly allow you to do stuff that makes you look clever. Yeah. But Decrypto is a game where you can be capital C clever, even more so than Codenames. And more, much more so than clo- Codenames. Like, uh, Decrypto is a game which you really have to build your own cleverness engine. And if it flies or crashes into a wall, that's completely on you guys. But yeah, I played it over Christmas with my uh, family and initially it was quite bumpy because it was a bit more rulesy than than people would have liked at that point and that number of uh, sherries. But people really got into it by the end. Oh, I, I kind it, of I had that horrible thing for the first half being like, I've made a mistake. We shouldn't have done this. But then I was like, oh, you know, we can stop. You know, people, And everyone was like, no, no, no. no. Like every, <laughs> and everyone was really locked in by the end of it. But no, it's it's a fabulous thing. I think in many ways, I'm glad that people seem to be giving it a fair shake because I think uh, many people kind of in the wake of code names, just thought, oh, do I need another I'm code game? I'm absolutely guilty of that. I saw it's a team game. It's for four to eight players. It comes in the same size box as code name, same price. But when you play it, Yes, it's a word game, but it's so different. And I'll tell you what else. I don't think it gives enough kudos for like for just looking so beautiful. Yes. Like, has code names... Let's... And that was the major disagreement I had with Paul. I think he didn't like the art style of it, and I think it's just gorgeous I think perfect. it's I think it's beautiful, yeah. And also, you know what else? The theming of it, which is sort of like, um, I want to say Cold War Spies. It's kind of early computing, 1960s, like, white plastic mm-hmm. computers. Actually fits the game it does like codenames doesn't codenames is a very loose theme of like you're picking spies out from the yeah. crowd doesn't really work but decrypto the thing of like you could play decrypto in costume of like suits and in a darkly lit room and like you know your friends smoking if they're into that and then like that would feel like you know a sort of cold war spy thriller you know yeah hearing yeah. their codes and being like well, what could it mean have you heard about the uh first little expansion that yeah. announced for decrypto is it the laser disc expansion laser disc it's i've uh, now read what's in it um so if you haven't heard i'll be curious to hear your thoughts live um I heard some of it but i didn't look too closely okay well so the laser disc expansion is a module that means that players will have the option of because uh, in decrypto you just have to be able to decrypt what the opponent yeah, you don't need to know what the word is but with laserdisc you get the opportunity to guess what the word is mm. and if you guess fully two of the four words then you win so it's an alternate victory condition i think there's something else that oh yeah there's another thing which is uh it forces you to give words beginning with specific letters occasionally so you this turn all of your oh, oh no sorry not letters um it might be like this turn all of your clues have to be movies and you have to do that with one of your four, one of your three clues. But if you give all three as names of movies, then you get like an extra bonus, which enables you to do something. Interesting. Interesting. Little, the, the little la- fussy the stuff. The latter half sounds, sounds more like an expansion. The first part just sounds like, that's just a rule you could uh, play with now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, yeah, that, that is interesting, especially because it's quite delightful when you, you think, yeah, we've got this word. We know exactly what this word is now. Yeah. The moment yeah. of being like, and it's the realization I love that moment where you can actually, that's the difference between real code breaking. You can see the other team going, oh no. <laughs> you can see the moment where they go, that's the, and then they go, oh my. And you're like, oh, yeah, they've got it. And, and you know, you, it doesn't matter what you write now because they know what that word I love is. the doubling down on the like crap early era computing with an expansion that's like, you're not going to believe this. It's data on a disc. Like the expansion looks like a CD ROM drive. Yeah, no. But it's like, oh my God. It's a it's a circular disc we read with a laser. That's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. No, it, it's very cool. It's very cool. Uh, okay, but of course, um, we before uh, looking at this list named our own games of the year, didn't we? So I've got down here that uh, Matt, your game of the year was Brass Birmingham. It's Brass Birmingham slash 
Quacks of Quedlinburg. Quacks of Quedlinburg. Which we're not entirely sure that came out last year, but we're not going to bother checking. I don't care. Life's, I played it last year. Life's too short. Life is too short. I played it last year. Therefore, it came out last year. It's not true. It's not true. No, those two games, obviously incredibly similar games. Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, Brass Birmingham being, of course, a big, slightly fiddly, but slightly more forgiving Euro game than its original uh, but beloved cult classic Brass. Um, I just fell in love with Brass Birmingham. I played it a lot. Um, I could play it now. I, I could think play about it. it a lot. Every time I think about it, I want to play it. Um, and every time I set it up, I get excited about playing it. And every time I play it, it does not disappoint on that. It's it's a wonderful production. It put Roxley Games on my radar in quite a big way. And I've got, I want to check out more of this stuff. I've still actually got, I've had in my cupboard for many years, to my shame, uh, Super Motherload, uh, which you just gave me, I think, because you're like, hey, you might like this. Uh, oh, yeah. At some point. Occasionally, I... I give out review copies and be like, you can check this out. And sometimes people check it out and sometimes they don't. Yeah, and I that's forget. fine. I life is stuff. busy. Yeah, life is busy and you've always got new stuff coming in and you need to check it out. But uh, it's made me really want to go back and look at a lot of their stuff more closely because uh, there's a level of care there and a level of attention that I think these guys, these people, they're good. I'm Yeah, I'm playing uh, sort of play, playing a bit of uh, Dice Throne Season 2, which mm. uh, Roxy Game also picked up. And again, production values, As a production, gorgeous. crazy. What, uh, I'd like to play that again, actually, when I'm not exhausted, because I played that at a point which my brain was off. I'll tell you what, it's good. Um, it looks good. And also, yeah, um, Quacks, we reviewed that really recently. Um, I adore it. I think it's one of my favourite games in recent years, as I've said, and I still feel that. I played it again since the review. A couple of times it's so fast we played two games of it back to back in an evening and it was just not a thing that's lovely i will say about uh i think quags is also a fine contender for game of the year but i could see myself playing decrypto for 30 years like i could see myself pulling out decrypto every other christmas forever quags i do feel like has a shelf life which is not a criticism because most board games have a shelf mm. life but um yeah yeah I, I think Quacks is still good. Still good. My own pick for Game of the Year was, and I, I feel, I don't know why I picked this, but I did. I'm going to follow my heart. I chose Welcome 2. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fine. Yeah. You said I was worried you're going to be like, I think it's Captain Sonar again. <laughs> like, I, really I left field. I didn't this. pick, last year we picked the Arkham Horror card game, I think, you and me both. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I had some of my best times with that. You know, I don't know what it is about Welcome to. I think for me, pers- this is really just personal taste because it was the Roland Wright are coming back as a genre in a big way. Yeah, which is a big, you know, movement. Any new genre emerging in board games is a big moment that year. So in some ways, it, it, the emergence of Roland Wrights might be for me the most exciting thing, some exciting movements to happen this year. Welcome to was the first one I played, and also it's just astonishing. So for me, it's maybe my game of the year because. When we first played it, and a friend of ours put it in front of us, it was a moment of me going like, oh my gosh, I've never played anything like this. I love playing it. The tactility and mm. how it works is so unusual. It's simultaneous. We played Genshin Clever before that. But, oh, um, so we did, yeah. I just didn't really click with that. It was fine, but it didn't excite me. Yeah, you're uh, a, Whereas you're... Welcome To was immediately exciting. It's funny because you're a big fan of uh, Wolfgang Warsh, but for some people, Genshin Clever is going to be their favourite thing he's done, but you're not hot on it. It's fine. Like, I just think it didn't... It didn't grab me. It was basically like playing bingo. It was very fun, but it was like a kind of background thing. Whereas Welcome to I found evocative and interesting. And also, like I think we're seeing a lot of roll and write, but also we're seeing a lot of the board game industry's obsession with components, which are leading to games which have all these little plastic pens and all these little whiteboards. And I don't like that for a whole bunch of reasons, but I think the tactility is just not as nice. I think there's something lovely about the tactility of paper and pencil yeah yeah and i think especially in welcome to a game where you're kind of like effectively trying to 
plan out a neighborhood of scratching stuff and stippling stuff. And the fact that it has you underlining things and circling things, it gives you reasons to use a pencil in lots of different ways that makes you feel like you're doing work. Yeah. But in a way which is interesting. Whereas there's nothing workmanlike about very daintily and carefully rubbing out a marker with a little with a little eraser. It's thing. like for the Twilight Imperium Let's Play, you got really excited because you realised you could put checkboxes in the overlay. Yeah. I like, like and, and Welcome to it is basically a game of checkboxes. Yeah, it is. There's there's something very satisfying about ticking boxes and uh, circling things. Yep. Uh, we're going to go through... There's a lot of categories in the Pebbles Let's just choice. do some top threes from most of the categories. I agree, I agree. I thought that for just for that one, though. Yeah, for the big exciting. one. For the big potato. Uh, so we'll, it all. we'll gloss over a couple of these real quick. Best expansion released in 2018 uh, at the number one slot. Uh, it's a with 21% of the vote between Root, the River Folk, and Arkham Horror, the card game, the Forgotten Age expansion, which is mm. the one that casts you into South America. Not played that one. I was a little disappointed with the cycle before it, which was uh, Dunwich Legacy, because uh, I was. Um, there's <laughs> a very there's yeah. a, well. There's an unusual thing. The central conceit in Dunwich is that you know there's a weird play going on and. That's the first scenario. There's a weird play, but the thing that it tries to, I guess, borrow from the books is like, but is it real or are you crazy? And it's like, that's not what Arkham Horror the Card Game does well. It's like, we're literally fighting things that are eating us. It's like, yeah. maybe I am crazy, but this is not an interesting question to me because I can't engage with it meaningfully. I can't yeah. decide not to play the game. Yeah. Anyway, there yeah. were a few other things that bug me about that. But certainly, I'm excited for to play The Forgotten Age because I love the... It's it's just colourful and raw and exciting to be like, we're going into this pyramid in the middle of nowhere. What's going to happen? Probably awful snake monster things. And I'm yeah. that feels like a... a I'm more comfortable with that than questioning our own psychology. Yeah. Am I going crazy? I just want to buy a laser gun and shoot a dog. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't that came out wrong. I don't want to harm dogs. I like dogs. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, yeah, because Lovecraft is about more than just shotguns and explosives. But at yeah, the same as time, we talk about, yeah. at the same time, like, all Arkham Horror does well is is desperately running around hoping you're going to find a stick of dynamite <laughs> <laughs> whilst being chased by an assortment of bad things. Uh, we've got best Kickstarter delivered in 2018. The winner is uh, the winners are Champion of the Wild, Root, and Brass Birmingham. Sure, um, it's heartening to see Champion of the Wild popping up all over the place. Yeah, again. in the same way it's been heartening to see the second Kickstarter doing really well because it's a game that we loved. We tried to communicate to people why we loved it, and people didn't see it, which is fine. And I think really, actually, it was the live show we did at uh, PAX Unplugged that uh, kind of made people realise that, like, look, this is just arguably people say it's just a box of animals. It's not true. Uh, it's not true. There's the fact that you've also got like some some gifted um, uh, event ideas and some gifted artwork, which really does just get the imagination going. And I think we showed people that it's not just a funny game. It's it's genuinely interesting. It genuinely does raise interesting questions about whether, about or, not whether or not you could rob a bank better than a rhino. Uh, yeah, I was. I, there was a. If you haven't <laughs> seen our live show of Champion of the Wild, I, you should because I think it's hilarious. If yeah. you search for you know, shut up and sit down, Champion of the Wild, you'll find the live show we did, which involved the most contentious round was the audience and all of our panelists arguing whether Matt would be better or worse at doing a uh, robbery than a Pacific octopus. Yeah, yeah. And I I very much fall in the camp that that octopus could go through vents. Yeah, it could unscrew things i do feel like the octopus honestly would give me a really uh, a really high i think i'd struggle to be better at a heist than an octopus i can say that now in a non-competitive setting but i do think i'd be better at a heist than a rhino but anyway we're not going to get back into this no i sorry i just i was tapping, <laughs> I was tapping away at the laptop to check whether uh the the second kickstarter for champion of the world was still live and we could tell people to back it they cannot uh it finished uh raising uh about fifty thousand dollars but okay bad news you can't back the kickstarter good news 
That second print run from the Kickstarter of Champion of the Wild is going to be in shops. It's going to have some retail presence, but also um, it's going to have new events and new animals. Mm. So uh, the box we loved is getting... Oh, and new variants of ways to play. Yeah. So if you were on the fence about, oh, I'd like Champion of the Wild, don't worry, because a second edition with uh, all kinds of improved qualities. I know that one of the new sporting events is musical chairs. That's going to be great. Um, Yeah. Okay. There's a lot to love there, and it's definitely something which you need to kind of jury into a shape that you like, but um, I think that's fine. Yep. Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, we've got a category which we're going to spend a bit more time on. Best Game Production mm. of 2018. Uh, we're going to do a top five here, because I think it's it's super interesting. Um, Rising Sun, getting 13% of the vote. Um, Everdell, game with a big cardboard tree. Uh, if you uh, That sounds uh, catty. It also has some beautiful art of all kinds of animals uh, in, a, in a little society. You, you don't like it at all? No. Moving That's on. fine. I, I was, was going to be like, no, I, but then it's like, I actually can no, full stop. No, you really don't like it. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, we have got uh, a joint number third place with 20% of the vote, Decrypto and Treasure Island. Uh, <laughs> Treasure Island, of course. Yeah, I was like, that shouldn't, like, uh, Treasure Island didn't really, like, the, it's wonderful, but the production of it... Since our review, I've been told to use chalk pens. Uh, yes. That's the ideal I thing for the I did wonder that, but still, it's like, it doesn't come with chalk pens. Yep. And, like, it's a beautiful a beautiful piece of art on the map, but it's like, they, they, they messed up some production. Is there something to be said that the best production for the year should be people pushing the envelope, even if they screw up, than people who just do something? No, be- okay. because production is, is <laughs> not ideas. Production is most film. <laughs> okay. Uh, number two slot, it's Men at Work with 24% of the vote. And in the number one slot, shouldn't be a huge surprise, with 55% of our voting audience of voters, it's Root. Yeah, I think Root is... Um, you know, aside from like maybe the player boards could have been slightly nice. I think it's just it's a it's a remarkable production. Without looking at the awards, Matt and I both selected Root as our own personal award for best production of the year. Like the the game itself, you know, I have mixed feelings on, but the production is just is stellar. Even actually, Rising Sun has um, it's not a very informed production. Like it's kind of strange uh, Tarantino esque mishmash of cultural things, yeah. uh, which you know, in the same way that like Tarantino was, it was like that was cool. Like fifteen years ago, it just doesn't feel that cool anymore. But the production, you know, was so good in so many regards that I felt almost pained to be writing a review where I was like, this game's not really that great, whilst also finding myself unable to not make the game look absolutely brilliant in photos because <laughs> it's just such a gorgeous, you know. But then Simon, you know, all of their games are like gorgeous and poppy and, and i don't really like any of them but that's... except for well they picked up railroad inc but that's not yeah theirs. that's from an italian publisher yeah. they just bought the rights um uh yeah i don't dislike many of their games actually i, I think they're all just like okay i like, agree quite good i agree um yeah root is a funny one so there's an interesting thing where they've announced what's going to be in the next kickstarter for it which is two new factions which is crows and moles the crows sound particularly interesting because the crows are a uh, a faction of spies and the way you infiltrate spies to people's uh factions is you put your cards your crow cards in their hands so people are hands are gradually filling up with crows which i think is a lovely way to interact with people but the thing that's the most striking to me about the second kickstarter is they're going to include a completely new deck so you know that deck in root which is all the stuff you can craft all the special abilities yeah they are putting out a new deck that they said is going to be it's, it's essentially pushing the envelope and it's going to be weirder and that is really interesting to me. And it makes me more happy that I didn't get my copy of Root. Because if you've seen my quite long Root review, I ended up saying like, ah, I don't know. I, uh, there's something about this game that I just find a little bit unsatisfying. 
but I really did like it when I was trying to figure it out as opposed to once I knew once me and all my players knew how to play and it lost a bit of that mystery. So it's interesting to me that, yeah, of course we knew they were going to put out new factions, but a new deck of cards is a way of making the game instantly weird and unknowable that, I don't know, it, it's as if they're acknowledging that maybe Root is better as a wacky experiment like Cosmic. Yeah, no, I was going to say like Cosmic. I mean, well, he, Colwer, the designer Colwer has actually named Cosmic when he talks about um, putting out the new deck. Yeah, well, that sounds really interesting then, because I mean, honestly, like even the fact that with the Vagabond, you've got like, you know, five different types of vagabond you can be um i could see that being kind of like the cosmic encounter but with animals of being like a kind of even if you have like hey you know even with the, the current factions being like hey it's a new alternate birds or alternate rules and at the start of the game just being like hey everyone draw a card and it's like oh you are this race and now draw one of these cards oh you're this one of this race and just having like the weird randomization of being like you know because then you you are more into the 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 oeuvre of like what cosmic is of really like and the same as ti of being a game of trying to convince twilight other Imperium, people yeah yeah twilight Imperium, sorry of being of trying to convince people that you're not the problem yeah <laughs> that's like, that's kind of which fun. doesn't work at the point at which like you know with twilight Imperium, it kind of doesn't work because you get to the point where people have enough knowledge that they go no a calm without any trade goods <laughs> is a problem whereas in in you know it's it's all a bit academic in like cosmic encounter you can be like they're really powerful but you can be like yeah but in this scenario i'm not that powerful and like who's telling the truth yeah it's interesting like, um i but to circle back to the idea of it being best game production i'm excited to play root again with the new factions and the new deck once the kickstarter reaches back is just because i get to play with those little primary colored pawns again yeah, i mean the, the, the board is beautiful the pieces are beautiful it's just lovely stuff Lovely stuff. Uh, we move on to uh, most unique or original concept in a game released in 2018. Uh, we've got, uh, I might spend a bit of time on this, we've got Stuffed Fables, the game where the bo- a, a book is the board and you can turn pages uh, to advance through the game. Um, we've got Holding On the Troubled Life of Billy Kerr, a worker placement game where you jigsaw together a, a bunch of different art assets which form someone's memories and slow, sort of through like a collage, you get to see their life which is pretty interesting. Number three slot, we've got Nyctophobia, a game you play blind by touch that, Matt, Matt, you, if I remember correctly, you love Nyctophobia. I, I don't, I, I, yeah, I, I don't like Nyctophobia very much. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's not, it's, very, it's not very good. It's um, not very good, no. Uh, but it's still a lovely concept. It means uh, I just have to get like guided by Quinn's clammy hands. <laughs> my hands are dry. <laughs> it's great know. that for like, for what, 31 years my hands have been dry and then as soon as we start playing Nyctophobia I need to touch my friend's hands. My hands just been become clammy they weren't the even that time. clammy but it was wonderful for us all to be blindfolded and really winding you up like the idea. you had like <laughs> tremendously clammy hands just i have you dry hands. self-conscious whilst also trying to pretend to be a murderer how it many was ha- absolutely hilarious how many point. hands have we shaken over the years of doing shut up and sit down like more at, than at, i've had hot meals at conventions like, yeah quite a number i should have a lot of people backing up my dry hands finally in the number one slot it's no surprise the most unique or original concept for a game in 2018 is keyforge call of the archons mm. do you want to describe people uh, the twist of this to people if they missed it it's an interesting thing that we didn't discover well I didn't think about until after the review was out I was like oh I bet Keyforge was designed as being an anti-piracy measure because there have been huge amounts with problems with piracy within the board game industry and Amazon over the past few years so I wouldn't be surprised if, if it came about from those discussions that doesn't diminish it from that though it's a very cool idea in the fact that decks in Keyforge are unique and they have a little QR code again QR codes it's the year of the QR code um, and you can scan it into your app and then you own that deck and you can play with it in competitions and it's all entirely unbalanced, which means that some decks are just better than others. But if 
they are good, then you balance it by using your own handicaps within the game. And if they're too good, then they'll win tournaments and then be basically not allowed to play in tournaments ever again because they've ascended. The whole thing is wacky as hell. And I love it because it's simple and fun and seems to be like kryptonite to the more serious kinds of hardcore CCG gamers. It was so funny. Our Keyforge review did quite good traffic, but just about the worst commenting community appeared on our YouTube uh, Keyforge review. And it was funny because it was all the same kind of person. Because yeah. we said in the review, oh, well, this isn't for sort of like competitive card gamers. And there were loads of competitive card gamers in the comments going, this seems bad, but why don't I like it? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> like, exactly it. We covered you. You, you, you yeah, missed it. Yeah, it's, it, that was a funny thing. And, and, you know, I had a great time just playing it and messing around with it. And it's interesting how how um, the, the lens with which people talk about it and view it um, is sort of broken. And it really heartened me to see I've had lots of people getting in touch with us um, since our review of that, actually saying, you know what, I thought it looked fun and I also thought that it probably wasn't for me, but I checked out your review and I thought, oh yeah, I'll, I'm going to give it a go. And lots of people who've just been giving it a go and having a lot of fun with it um, who wouldn't have expected to. And I think that's cool. And especially with the first wave of the expansion they've just announced, it being like adding a whole bunch of new cards and keeping some of the, you know, better cards I, in the first wave. My favourite thing about the new announcement is that, yeah, every you've got all these new cards which the new decks you buy will be built from, but there is a small chance that some of the cards in your deck might be from previous yes. decks. Which is like just a lovely way to implement all the old cards they've Yeah, of just being like, hey, this isn't going to be in the pool, but you might just get something random of being like, hey, this shouldn't be in here, but it is. Yeah. In a way that's like, cool. Which adds some like really odd flavours things. But also, for me, as somebody who just likes to explore these decks and explore the game, it means having a new set of things coming out. It means I can just, if I want to ensure I'm going to play a bit more and have a new experience, I can just buy some of the newer decks and get some new cards. Completely. I think there's one failing of me from when we were working on our Keyforge review together, which is I don't, given like hindsight is twenty twenty, I've realized that actually I adore Keyforge's high concept. I actually, and I never said this in the review, I love that you buy a deck and it's unique. I love that I can always, I, I get a pile of decks and I like these and I like playing with these and I think these are actually good. Um, I just, yeah, I'm not as sold as you are on the game itself and I'm mm -hmm. not sold on the universe, but I made a point of that in the review. That's yeah. what I did say. But honestly, if Fantasy Flight want to do the key, for, like the unique custom deck thing with a different game, oh my goodness, I'm all over it. Like if they want to bring Netrunner back with this format, that would be fine. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it'll be a star wars thing probably quinn's oh custom star wars deck yeah yeah you're probably right that now they've got this thing and it's selling like hotcakes why wouldn't they do it with a proper ip attached yeah i don't know yeah. um moving on our next award best digital board game app of 2018 and the top three number three it's through the ages digital number, board number games two, digital board games number two is tabletop simulator which makes it's not a it's game, not a game. It's, it's a drink and number one is galaxy trucker which uh i heard is good oh yeah uh, there's a Galaxy Trucker app, yeah. Mm. And the AI is coded by Vlada Khvatil himself. <laughs> wow. he's a polymath. Wow. Um, is that what that means? Uh, polymath just means you study multiple things. Okay. Like poly multiple math. So what's a polywhirl? Uh, it's a Pokemon that demonstrates someone doesn't understand English like word assembly. Right, got you. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I think about Galaxy Trucker a lot. I thought it's about good. that when I was sleeping in your house the other day because it's in a cupboard next to the bed. And yeah. I looked at it and I thought, 
Ah, Galaxy Tracker. Matt, Matt has to stay over at my house um, a fair bit these days, same as I have to stay at his. But the difference is, I sleep in Matt's guest bedroom, whereas Matt sleeps in my office, surrounded by... <laughs> you're at floor level with, like, dozens of board games. But what games? What games? I was thinking we should Galaxy Truck on the, the stream at some point. Oh, yeah. Just because it's so fun. It's a good game. Um, it's a good game. It's so fun. We're really enjoying using the stream to, like get coverage of games we wouldn't review because they're dumb yeah it's like, or like things we've covered a long time ago or just things we would just want to play again yeah completely um we move on to got some weird categories now that the forumites love and which i'll which i kind of love as well um this is the eric tangblad award who's a forum user and one of our moderators for best game of the previous year i only got to play for the first time in 2018 uh, top three being Fog of Love, Gloomhaven, and Azul. Mm, I mean, three it's good game. It's basically a rehash of the top games from t- 2017, but in a different category. But yeah, you know what? They're all still good. They are. They're all still good. Um, and then this is a new category for this year. Best game of any previous year <laughs> that I only got to play for the first time this year. And uh, top three, Arkham Horror the Card Game, Concordia, and Flam Rouge. Yeah. Glad to see people finally coming around on Flam Rouge. It's good. Best designer of 2018. Uh, oh, sorry. Best designer as of 2018. So mm. we think this might just be Forumize voting on who they think the best designer in the board game industry is right now. Right, yeah. Which isn't... you. And you were saying you think this category should be like... Well, I don't think that's fair um, in a way because it's not how it works. But that is how they voted for this. I know, I know, I know. But I just wouldn't have set the category like that because it's like... That's why you kind of have lifetime awards because otherwise it's like you kind of think, well, how many years does like you know a film director have to have bad films coming out before it's like all of the previous work is just irrelevant you know yeah like like john carpenter for example like is a fabulous director a lot of his recent work is bad but like (laughs) i like the idea he's still great you know what i mean uh, who's the guy who did um uh you know space on stanley kubrick i like the idea of the oscars and the best director award goes to stanley Stanley kubrick Kubrick. yeah again exactly (laughs) because it's like well yeah but he made great films so who's gonna argue with that Uh, i mean that's the thing like a lot of modern films are not that good and so you'd still be giving people awards from the 80s and stuff the, the way this data becomes interesting is if you collate it on a graph over time so like every year like people are like oh they're cooling on vlada this year anyway but it's t- just a popularity thing and it doesn't make i mean it makes sense to just be like who's the, been the best designer well, this year okay so we have a couple and the answer is <laughs> the answer Wolfgang Vash. yeah okay so before we get well uh that's my answer anyway let's talk about your answer for a bit so i kind of agree with you it was wolfgang Vash's year yeah uh, so, of course, Wolfgang did a bunch of very different games. Did Quacks of Quedlinburg, uh-huh. uh, a Push Your Luck potion brewing game we adore. Mm-hmm. Did uh, Ganshon Clever, a roll and write that is, by all accounts, loved. Uh, he did Illusion, a game, a little cute card game of optical illusions that's just great. Just interesting. And he did The Mind, which, yeah. frankly, is a sort of... I've seen as a folk game that actors play from time to time, but no one had put it into a card game, and he deserves full credit for that. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing for me. It's like, as somebody who didn't really... wasn't really asked about... Ganshon's Clever. Uh, uh, and which I think is now available in English under the name Pretty Darn Clever. Yeah, which is like, a lot of people love that. I wasn't that bothered. But even despite that, Illusion, I think is like a really fun little idea, just really interesting, kind of like made my mind go, oh, this is such a clever idea for a little game. But really, for me, it's just two games in one year. Like, Quacks, I know like I'm hotter on it than most, but I love Quacks. And The Mind is just one of those games that's just been everywhere in an electric wave. Just, you're just seeing people trying it and talking about it and having an amazing time. He's so prolific. And, and I he... think to two games that are just different. And he's released so many games in such a short amount of time. Yep. And he's got more coming out next year. Uh, it's been really good for him. Um, the Forumites voted uh, for the top five to be Tim Fowers at uh, fifth place, then Wolfgang Vash, 
Uwe Rosenberg, Alexander Pfister, and Vlada Hvatil. Uh Pfister, of course, another sort of, I don't want to call him up and coming because he's been working for a long time, but yeah, just putting out really solid boxes like Isle of Sky and his other games. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't say that as being catty. I've just forgotten. I Great mean, Western Trail. Great Western Trail. And of course, he did Blackout Hong Kong. So I don't know when... Um uh, Isle of Sky came out. Was that a couple of years ago? Yeah. I so actually, just... it's one of those things where Fister, it was probably the year of Fister a couple of years ago. And we might not, might not have realised that until this year. Yes. But like, you know, two years ago, Fister putting out like a couple of great games in like a short period of time. If you're new to Shut Up and Sit Down, then we haven't covered any of Vlada Hvatil's games for a long time, but I think he's still loosely Shut Up and Sit Down's favourite designer. You'll know him for designing code games, but before that, he didn't really do party code games. Code names. So I'm not being mean. You just... What did I say? Code games. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> why would I say games? That's, I have no idea. That's crazy. It's got nothing to do with anything. Uh, but prior to that, Vlad did some big heavy games uh, that were all funny, at, well, almost all funny, all unique, all very good games like Space Alert, Galaxy Trucker, Mage Knight, uh, Dungeon Pets, Dungeon Lords, and something I've forgotten that will come to me. Um, but yeah, just a storied designer. And while yeah. we haven't seen any big games from him for a while, I've just heard rumours now uh, that his next big game is uh, currently being passed around and being playtested. Mm, yeah, he's uh, a wonderful mind. Uh, yeah, although, oh, the one thing I wanted to say, at sixth place in this list is Reinach Nitzia, board games, uh, you know, un- board gaming owes a huge debt to him in the 90s, yeah. designing great games like Tigris and Euphrates and Ra and Samurai and uh, Taj Mahal, um, all kinds of little card games like High Society. Um, but we sort of... I. Well, personally, I was guilty of thinking he was very much sort of in the past. A lot of creators have a period where they're making golden stuff, and then Renek Nitzia has literally made, literally, literally, not just using it as a turn of phrase, hundreds of bad games since then. However, um, next podcast, I'm going to be talking about a new game of his called El Dorado, which is great. And that really threw me, because if a designer like Renek Nitzia can make great games in the 90s, but then still make great games now that suddenly puts him into a very different category of like oh my gosh he didn't go away he's still really good the call is coming from inside the house precisely uh moving on we've got the uh a category best artist of 2018 their top three being chris williams ian o'toole and at number one uh this might be contentious in this room beth sobel with 32 hmm. percent of the vote who hasn't done any art that matt and i are huge on but uh oh Oh, it's refreshing seeing a woman at the top of one of these. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, But for you you and me, we're a bigger fan of the uh, artist in second place, who is Ian O'Toole. Yes. Uh, You're the, the, uh, I believe, artists call themselves, you're the art head. (laughs) And the art head, yeah. Yeah. You cut me open, I uh, bleed art through a gash in my skull. Why don't you talk a bit about what makes Ian O'Toole so good? Um, I think there is a joint appreciation between us and Ian O'Toole about about details and beyond uh, aesthetic details, but actually kind of mechanical details. If he's somebody who's equally driven mad by uh, perspectives not matching things. <laughs> um, and I also think that there is a degree of push um, where it goes beyond uh, illustration and does veer into into art, and that's not to do with the quality. It's more to do with the purpose, you know. Of like, if you're illustrating a board, it's your job to to make it look nice. It's it's he's In he's two ways. things, isn't he? He's able to do beautiful illustrations, but then he's also able to do like proper, uh, almost well, art design. You know, lots of of clean lines that that clearly telegraph how the game works. That's not even it either, actually. No, because uh, sometimes it doesn't do the best job of that um what was the game that was really blue that i always forget the oh, name of lisboa lisboa so lisboa is a really good example of like you know it's has such a vision of what it wants the board to look like that it 
kind of in that case doesn't gel 100% well with the game and it's already a complicated game and I can understand, I didn't have a problem with it, but I can understand how people go, why is this board entirely blue? You know, why is everything blue? I get that. But I think the what I like about uh, their work is that it, it is excellent and it is precise and it does come from a place of care, but it's also, um, for whatever reason, usually not afraid to actually kind of put some some directorial vision into it in ways that are... And this is this is me being a real art head, really, in ways that like don't always work. It's the fact that illustration really is like you're doing a job. Like this is your job, do this, dump. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's the fact that it does end up pushing against the edges in a way that sometimes doesn't always work. And I think it's interesting that like in Lisboa, I I love it, but I can see why people would say it doesn't quite work. However, franchise, you know, is like this this level of like pushback of going beyond the idea of like this is what a, an illustrative board game looks like and coming up with a concept and coming up with a design which is just different and strange i think franchise changes the game franchise is really what um excites me about Ianotil's work because we've seen him do tons of clean lines with his vital lacerda games games like the gallerist uh, vinhas deluxe is one of my favorite illustration jobs from him um and of course lisboa which is clean, but messy. But anyway, but seeing him do franchise, which is all, a lot of bubble arrows, a lot of bright, like bizarre colors, a lot of like um, stuff that is still clean in its way, but also just a bit wild, I guess. Well, I think what we're seeing at the moment is we've had a, a long era of board games that just look ugly. And then uh, we've had been lucky over the past five years to have suddenly been like, hey, these games aren't ugly. And we've been able to have a luxury period of games that just look nice and games that pop and games that have clear iconography so you can track the game and track the systems. And, you know, I think what's exciting is beyond that. Like once you get to that point where it's like, hey, this looks nice. It is readable. It is clean. It is not horrible. Um, you've then got this whole realm of exploration, which isn't just like a lick of paint, a lick of colour, a lick of style, but actually is like, well, in what ways can the presentation of uh, this artwork as artwork, really, um, in influence the way that you actually interact with the board? And as I say, I saw that in Franchise, and I just think that there's a lot of people out there who are lovely artists who are producing lovely work, but I think Ian is, is one of the few people in the space now who's actually kind of pushing at the edges of what you can do and um in a way that sometimes is experimental and sometimes doesn't quite work but that's that's good yeah no goodness <laughs> well said because that put a lot of thoughts that i kind of had bubbling away in my mind but you've actually you've Turns named out, them i think about art too much excuse me i did a burp Thank you very much for listening to the 91st Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Been an extra long on this one, but hopefully that makes up a bit for us taking an absence. Mm. Uh, Soon we're going to be uh, less absent for a whole bunch of reasons. Excitingly, uh, our first intern will be starting very soon, which is exciting. You'll have to be introduced to them in the future. We're going to be having some interns throughout the year and hopefully some new voices and some new people on Shut Up and Sit Down. Imagine so that. Look forward to hearing some new voices in the podcast. Be nice to them. Be nice to each other. Have a lovely day. Yeah, it's going to be... Oh, man, I'm so excited. And our interns are so excited. It's been so nice like after sending out so many thanks, but we can't hire you letters to actually get to mm. send out the final few, which is like, hey, hey, we do you, do we you want to do this. Come yeah. to my house and play again. It's been wonderful. We had such a huge amount of people applying. Um, and, you know, maybe you're listening to one of them. Thank you so much. It was wonderful going through all of these different videos, looking at the amount of effort and heart people are putting into things, watching people put themselves out there, talking to people, and then finally picking the people we wanted to work with was not just something which was 
it was very uh, inspiring. It, it reminded us of exactly what we do and why we do it and, and who we are and who our fans are. And it was really good for the soul. It was genuinely moving. Yeah. It was. And to be able to end that process by, you know, making some people very excited, like come down and work with us. Wicked. That's yes. just awesome. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Thanks to Mr. Steve Davin for providing musical stings. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, I still love listening to those stings. Mm, those stings. They are super hot. We will be back in a, another couple of weeks. Uh, we're definitely not going to make you wait so long till the next podcast. Have a lovely day, everybody. Yeah, bye. <laughs>